and welcome to another Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine, featuring interesting, inspiring, educational, and entertaining stories, discussions, and interviews of purpose, with purpose, on purpose. Hello, everybody. This is J.W. Nigerian with On Purpose Magazine, and today we have with us Ilya Yes. How are you doing, Ilya? I'm doing great, J.W. Thank you for having me. And I didn't. I said that with some question because I, I didn't want to script your last name, Konsevich. Did I say that right? Yes. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Ilya, um, first of all, uh, I got Ilya on. He's an economist. He's just come out with this new book um, called Economical Equilibrium, The Geometry of Economics. And... Uh, Let's kind of let everybody know who Ilya is first uh, off. That would that'd probably be smart so everybody knows who you are. Um, sure. You've been a successful entrepreneur and finance, tax, and accounting expert. Um, you started your career in 1997 uh, with Arthur Anderson. Um, you're from Russia, is that correct? Yes, I was born in Belarus, and I grew mm-hmm. up in Moscow. Oh, that's pretty cool. And um, yeah. you were a banking auditor and transferred to the U.S. Uh, office in Los Angeles to focus on skills on investment firms and private um, and uh, public banking institutions in 2002. Uh, you yes. joined Ernst Young uh, to head its financial services group in, in St. Petersburg and start the banking business risk services practice in Moscow in 2007, joined Madison Taylor Holdings in Beverly Hills. Oh, that's nice. What a big change. Um, very successful, uh, a logarithmatic based trading company in the securities industry. And the following year, uh, you joined the prominent private equity firm of Aurora Capital Group in Los Angeles, focusing on acquisition and conversion of distressed debt, which we were just talking about, some stuff we were talking about. Uh, At present, um, you uh, are are managing partner and economic advisor with Beverly Investment Group, which was founded in 2010, shortly after graduating from UCLA, Anderson. So uh, did I catch it, most of it? Uh, I think yes. <laughs> There's a lot all, there. all, of the, all of the little details. Um, um, and um, it's not much to add, uh, although um, the last four years after starting Beverly Investment Group uh, has been uh, nothing but uh, fun and excitement uh, based on what's going on in the financial world. So... And that's what led me to write the book. Well, you know, um, I, I understand that. I was working in commercial real estate, and all we wanted to do after the um, uh, the breakdown of the economy, it was a 2007-ish, uh, mm-hmm. around that period, um, was figure out what the heck happened um, to a system that it wasn't supposed to happen to. And, um, you know, who? I remember talking, doing all kinds of interviews with bankers and economists on what was going on and everybody had a different story and what i like about your book and what i wanted to have you on today is because um you are asking several questions um which are i think are great questions uh you know what's wrong with the system um uh, you 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 question modern economic theory uh and uh so i wanted to get into that with you today a little bit First of all, the book. How did the book start out? I understand kind of the same way I was talking about. Is that 
Is that right? Right. So I was doing reviews on uh, Russian and U.S. economies for my mm -hmm. company because a lot of our investment decisions are based on macroeconomic analysis. Okay. And I was putting uh, things together as uh, short essays on, uh, let's say, what's going to happen in the next year based on the monetary policy of, uh, <clears throat> of the Central Bank of Russia or the Federal Reserve in the United States because our, cl our clientele is international. And um, after I started to get my thoughts together, uh, you know, I had a pretty good write-up, <laughs> which I wanted to uh, evolve into something more significant than just a short essay. Mm. Uh, back to your point, uh, JW, on the uh, economics and why nobody understands uh, what's going on. There's a great anecdote that I heard uh, when two economists uh, have met, and one of them asks, Another. So, do you understand what's going on with economics? And the other one goes, well, let me explain it. And the first one goes back, well, I can explain it myself, but do you really understand what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, it's, a lot of, um, it's a lot of confusion, which I was trying to debunk in my book about how economics actually works and uh, what are the key driving forces of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but the key issue, I believe, is the uh, economic formulas and finance formulas, which are the foundation of uh, the modern economic world. And, so, and I, I uh, want to know, because you, you, you talk about them in their linear form, you explain them in the front part of the book, in their, in, 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 and then talk about the issues with them, and then you move into a more, um, you go into geometry to explain um, not only the, uh, the theory now, but the possible theories on how we can um, um, uh, talk about uh, economics in a new kind of way, something that's not a little more, a little less static or, or, um, and a little more changeable? Uh, I, yeah, absolutely. Know? So you're exactly right. So um, uh, the modern um, uh, economic system uh, views economics as an open system. So it uses linear mathematics, and line is um, uh, a series of data points which are plotted on uh, two-dimensional uh, surface, right? Right. So the imagination of the <clears throat> economists is unlimited. In other words, they see that line will uh, continue forever, so they imagine the data points uh, to be linear. Uh, but as we all know, <laughs> everything in our world is geometric. It's uh, three-dimensional, and it's a closed system. For example, uh, Earth is a sphere. Uh, there are so many people that live in our world, and there are so many natural resources which uh, fuel the economy. And um, looking at the data points from a linear standpoint uh, makes no sense in a closed system. Uh, and geometry is a much better fit for the explanation. That's why the name of the book uh, is Geometry of Economics. Yeah, one of the one of the I was reading along, and one of the things that you mentioned it seems like so so stupid. Uh, but it, you talk about okay, how how do you understand your understanding of okay, if you took if hundred dollars was all the money in the world, and uh, you lend it out at ten percent in at ten percent interest. Where does the extra ten come from? And I thought, and I said, I, I never thought about it like that. Yeah, what well, it's, it's a question. <laughs> it's a question that uh, puts all the accountants in the <laughs> in a stale mode. They just can't answer it. Um, that's exactly uh, the the issue with linear mathematics. So people kind of get caught into um, uh, this uh, perpetuity momentum when things continue endlessly. 
Right. And, uh, for example, one of the formulas in the uh, valuation of the companies uses what's called a terminal value, where they use X divided by Y formula, and they, it's a line that uh, um, goes to infinity. And I'm like, how does this make any sense? And I had actually many arguments with our professors at UCLA Anderson in finance and economics about this uh, very issue, and I couldn't find the right answer. So I said, look, if you are going to continue pursuing the linear uh, uh, way of uh, viewing things, uh, it's going to cause crashes after crashes after crashes, and it will not help people to uh, be able to feel confidence in uh, tomorrow's uh, future uh, with their finances, with their pensions, with their social security, and so on and so forth, because you just have you're explaining uh, the system with absolutely incorrect uh, way uh, how it actually works. I like this because one of the things I, you know I come from a commercial real estate background, and, and one of the first things I thought about was cap rate, where it's a very simple formula and uh, it talks about you know how much uh, the building costs, how much you're going to make. It's almost like the percentage you're going to make back from your invents, investment, and it's very easy to understand if you buy a bond at three percent. And you have a cap rate of 5% on a building means you're going to make, maybe it's smarter to buy the building at 5% other than, as opposed to getting the money back at 3% from a bond. And, but it's never that simple because then you think about the, uh, of all the apartments or say if it's a multifamily you'd have to put up with and the maintenance and all the different things that come into play and it becomes very complicated. Uh, so, right. uh, yeah. so people throw around cap rate like it's a very simple thing. But in real terms, it's not simple at all. And your book kind of talks about that. And I'd like to get in because I don't want to. I don't really want to go towards commercial real estate. But um, wanted to talk to you, and especially nowadays, um, one of the things we're talking about is the interest rates staying down. I, Santelli just walked off CNBC not yesterday, but the day before. He walked off after a huge argument with the rest of the panel about allowing the interest rates to climb and work themselves out and so what if we uh, you know get a little uh, you know if the economy or what is it uh, if the cost of things rise uh, the economy has to fix itself we can't continue going on with those kind of things so I want to talk about the economy in general maybe you can start from uh, blade of grass and talk to us about some of the problems that you found with the, the standard the standard model sure so, uh, well, to your point about uh, raising interest rate, first things first, uh, they need to stop printing money and buying um, uh, what, what I would call toxic assets out of the mortgage banks uh, to keep them afloat. Uh, that should be done before any monetary policy change. But yeah. uh, uh, to your point about what's wrong with the system, see the 2007-2008 crisis, while Ben Bernanke said, <clears throat> well, it never happened before when he was asked the question, whether he could anticipate uh, this crisis coming. Actually, it was very predictable because um, uh, the only uh, uh, real growth in economics that uh, uh, happened uh, uh, in early 2000s was uh, from a reduction of the interest rate because uh, money was uh, cheaper and people had to invest this money somehow, and that's what caused the real estate bubble. Because real estate is the, the biggest and the safest way to preserve wealth, right. and uh, usually the more <clears throat> it has a great uh, big correlation to the uh, to the monetary base. So as monetary base increases through 
a reduction in the interest rates, uh, the real estate prices go up because it's a safe investment. It's kind of an entry point uh, for wealth preservation. So it's, it's such an obvious thing, and um, I don't see why uh, no one actually, well, some people raised this question many times, but they were the minority. Well, but while the mainstream was just uh, making money out of uh, mortgage-backed securities and so on and so forth. So this, this viewing this again, the, the big issue is that uh, financiers and economists see economics uh, and linearity kind of helps people uh, think about economics as a disintegrated model, but it's not. It's a, it's a closed system. Everything is connected uh, to begin with. Mm -hmm. Because money itself plays a role of liquidity and uh, transfer mechanism, uh, but at the same time it's a value preservation mechanism. So it has both sides of the coin uh, which can be flipped uh, depending on what you want to do with the system. So, for example, if you want to increase uh, the speed of the system, you uh, make monetary infusions uh, either through reduction of the interest rate or through printing more money as they're doing now. Or if you want to uh, make system more... Uh, I would say intensified uh, when it cannot grow e expansionally. Uh, mm -hmm. You stop printing money, you raise interest rates, but then uh, many jobs that are created from the extra liquidity supply will be terminated, which will cause a huge social problem. So it's a mechanism which works, uh, which you can tune uh, both ways. The problem right now is that, uh, as you know, the debt ceiling was increased by a trillion dollars last year, and right. uh, we're still in our economy uh, living on um, I would say unsustainable model uh, which is only fueled by uh, the creditors who agree to lend money to the US and we're spending this money but we never give it back and that's a huge issue our production uh, in, 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 in our country is uh, slowing down uh, we outsource jobs we uh, use uh, foreign oil uh, but we don't do anything that compensates for it internally. So we're like this, uh, we live on credit, basically, and that's never a good thing. Never a good thing. So if I heard you correctly, the interest rate, it was a great way for the um, the Fed or whoever is in charge to um, to raise or lower to compensate for the economy at hand. Uh, doesn't that uh, make it, if it's as low as it is right now, kind of make it a tool that doesn't work? It, it, you keep it lower, you start in causing inflation and and uh, we all pay the price uh. well yes it's a, it, it, you're exactly right so the next uh, you know, foreseeable thing that will happen I don't think they will be able to raise interest rates without losing confidence again of the investors because the pension funds 50% of their investments is in the stock market uh, so and then right. the first thing that happens when interest rates go up the stock market goes down <clears throat> uh, it's um, we have to find a way uh, either through technology or th through other incentives to uh, create new uh, industries, new infrastructures, uh, new uh, ways to keep people busy mm -hmm. uh, because the existing uh, contribution of uh, of people to the economics uh, is very limited it's insufficient actually again don't forget that we live we continue to live on credit. So uh, I don't see how they can raise interest rates, uh, and uh, many people say about inflation because there's so much money printed by the Fed right now just to maintain the stock market. <clears throat> so right. So the stock market, uh, it, stock market uh, it's rise in equity. The equities are doing really well right now, but it's uh, essentially you're saying it's smoke and mirrors. 
Well, yes, it's a smoking mirror for two reasons. One, there's no top-line growth for those companies. Mm-hmm. And two, the companies do uh, stock buyout buy with debt, <clears throat> and debt is not accounted for in uh, Dow Jones or S&P 500. Mm-hmm. So right. we're looking at only one part of the of the equation, but we're missing the other part, and that's debt. So the stock market is highly leveraged right now, and it's trading on a very thin volume. So that's another thing. Okay, there's two questions I want to ask you, and I don't know if they're they're related or not, but uh, they're the ones pressing on my head, and so I'm just going to throw them out there. Uh, and you can answer them any any way you want to. Um, and one of them is important because it's to your book. It talks to your book, and that is about devising. Can we devise an alternative economic system, um, which would be more whole and sustainable, and allow for crisis-proof uh, economics? Number two, the uh, I want to get into the. Remind me, I want to get into jobs and talk to you about uh, the government uh, providing social programs. Uh, to get jobs going, do you believe that's a good thing or not a good thing? Anyway, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. So the first question is, can we build a system that works? Absolutely. I mean, we uh, we, are, we live in the 21st century. We send satellites to Mars. Uh, <clears throat> we're absolutely capable of building that system. And the, the foundation of that system, though, should be geometry, not uh, uh, linear mathematics. Does that so make we it more to... dynamic, do you think? Uh, it, it will be more uh, once we understand how that system works and we have the right formulas to explain it. It will be much. Uh, we'll have a different perception of economics, and that will be a great starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we have to. Um, for example, you heard about income inequality issue. Oh, and, big, uh, big, a big issue. And uh, but, and it's so simple because in the capitalist world, profits are pushed to the top. Mm-hmm. And uh, those who control the uh, production assets and uh, who own the corporations get all the all the benefits, while people who uh, are employed and who are not uh, sharing uh, the wealth created by those corporations equally, they are the ones who suffer. And that's right. <laughs> and it's so simple. And geometry explains it just fine, while the linear mathematics says, oh, this can continue forever, because <laughs> it's how it is, but it's not. We all know that it's not possible. Uh, so that's, uh, that's the first question. And with regards to the jobs, I think that what we're missing is um, a, a radical change in uh, viewing what people do uh, that other people need. In other words, people need to do things which are useful, and they need to be compensated uh, by the system itself, uh, by those who do other things that are useful to them in return. So it has to be um, kind of uh, what you give is what you get uh, type of system where uh, you still rely a lot of innovations and new jobs are created as technology advances. And uh, it, But it has to be evaluated, again, from usefulness standpoint. There are a lot of useless jobs, per se, and there are a lot of jobs right now which are being eliminated through technology breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, you heard about Uber uh, changing the taxi service in the United yeah, States absolutely. entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's Amazon that does delivery of food. So uh, people may have to drive less but get something in return. But what does it give uh, to those people who were selling groceries beforehand? So we have to be foreseeing in terms of what technology change is and what jobs people need to educate themselves for in order to keep up with the pace of uh, uh, advancement in, te- in technological progress. 
Yeah, an interesting study just came out recently that said it's it's less. Uh, they found out that uh, kids coming out of college, uh, it's, the amount of money they made uh, was less about the school they went to, the Ivy, maybe the Ivy College as opposed to the uh, you know the state college, <clears throat> and more about the particular things that they studied: engineering, science. The you know because there are, <laughs> there are a lot of needs. That we cannot, we're not, our students are not fulfilling right now. Uh, so yes, as, a liberal as, arts as, degree is not going to get you as far as a, as an engineering degree right now. And it doesn't matter if you're an Ivy League school or not. Does that make sense to you? Well, it does um, because uh, uh, some of the things we're we're still learning in schools that's like 50 years old curriculum, mm. and the value for that curriculum right now is zero. So. It's as if we are stepping forward uh, with uh, the new technology and new advancement in engineering and uh, biotech and chemistry and so on and so forth, but the curriculum of the schools is outdated. So it's not catching up to educate scholars to the new level uh, of what's needed in the economy. The rule of 72, is that the one that applies to how quickly technology grows over years? Is that the right uh, yeah, the <clears throat> the Moore's law. <laughs> Moore's law, uh, yeah, that, which says that the that the technology grows at a logarithmic rate. So if we're if our schools and what we're teaching don't don't grow at those same rates, we're we're not behind the eight ball. Is that correct? Pretty much, yes. Uh, things are speeding up, and they're speeding up significantly. Uh, well, uh, thankfully, the technology is is there. There's a lot of online. Uh, resources which are currently available, but it's not even that. It's just that uh, uh, things change so fast these days. It was never as fast any, anywhere in the past, and it's really hard to catch up. Uh, and uh, being useful, having a profession that is useful to others is the key for a strong economy. And, okay. Um, One of my questions was, uh, do you think it, because it kind of goes into the, not to be talk about socialism necessarily, uh, but the the need for maybe not a hammock, but a safety net um, to take care of older people and, and, and the infirmed, and also about the government making jobs through building roads and bridges and all those kind of things. Will that help the economy, or is that just something that's thrown around by the media? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big issue, uh, of course. Uh, first of all, people who are not uh, use, uh, useful for the economy definitely become dependent on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, quantifying that number is important so that there is no surprise. Uh, right. For example, when social security system was devised back in the 60s, it was uh, devised uh, using, again, linear formulas as annuity payments when the life expectancy was like 70 years old. Now life expectancy is 90 years old, uh, but uh, those formulas used for the social security system were still from the 60s. So it was never, they never rethinked the, those formulas and their actuary payments. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's not a good thing to do. I mean, you have to continuously evaluate your liabilities to those who do not, no longer contribute to the economy. Uh, and with regards to the scholars and people who cannot find jobs because they don't have the right skills, well, education uh, is the key, and uh, they have to learn the right skills in order to, to do the d- useful jobs. It's as simple as that. 
Yeah, we have another issue coming up, and that is the baby boomers are all retiring and will start pulling their money, their 401k money out slowly but surely uh, out of the uh, stock market, um, which can, I've been told, can have a devastating effect on our, our any movement forward uh, in the next uh, few decades. Uh, right, right, and uh, that's exactly um, uh, the issue because, again, the Social Security was not uh, designed uh, as, um, as a full retirement system. It was designed as annuity payment when life expectancy was very low. Right. And um, they just miscalculated the whole, uh, the entire liability. And uh, it's just, you know, that's, that's, that's exactly why we should <laughs> change the formulas and the foundation of our pension system and of our funds. It's a very pervasive thing right. to say, look, guys, uh, we really messed up. Uh, the, for the economic formulas designed by the fam famous guys in the 50s and 60s are not working because we viewed economics as an open system. It's mm -hmm. not an open system. It's a closed system, and we should use geometric and, um, well, ge ge geometric formulas are basically relying on differential equations um, when uh, <clears throat> one function depends on the, on the other. Uh, and... Uh, that's basically the approach that we should do. And so it's, it's going to be a very, uh, a very, I would say, major, major step that all the scholars and uh, hopefully economists and financiers will undertake uh, um, in a short time. Well, I think it was Einstein, and I'm, not, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact thing, who said that we can't fix the problem with the same um, set of rules we went in to to, uh, to, to create them. Yes, yes, that's them. a really so, great quote. Yes, yeah, it's a Thank really great quote, which kind of explains what you're talking about. So could I get from you some a uh, couple golden nuggets, maybe just, uh, or some ideas on what things you believe need to be changed, some of the, some of the standard things that we, we believe in, um, and, and, you, and you, you, you would call out? and say, nah, that doesn't actually work, and, and this is what we should do about it. Okay, well, um, <clears throat> I the, the first things, things first. Examples would be the better okay. term. Um, well, it's, it's examples. Um, for, uh, the, the first one, I think I have the seven, um, seven steps on the kind of back to the future in my book. The first thing, we have to start thinking about economics in geometry sense only. So stop, uh, abolish linear mathematics. Uh, stop thinking about terminal value, perpetuity. It's not, it's not working. Think geometry. Think of uh, economics as a closed system. So the second, um, the second one is we, we need to switch GAAP and IFRS. Uh, IFRS is International Financial Reporting Standards to cash basis mm -hmm. because GAAP and IFRS created uh, what's called now fair value which is nowhere close to fair because it's not considering volume or timing uh, when um, extrapolating the, uh, for example, the last closing price of the shares over the entire portfolio of outstanding stocks. So accounting should be on a cash basis. Um, I, I would also question uh, interest recognition by the banks. In other words, banks should, do, should be depository institutions but not lending institutions. Uh, when you keep money with the bank, you pay them a fee, uh, but that's your money and you manage that money. But if the government decides to, let's say, 
or large companies or wealthy individuals decide to do something with that money, it should be their choice. But uh, banks it's themselves, since they're now uh, value generation entities, they should not be allowed to uh, to lend money at, and charge interest because, again, they're just an intermediary and their um, you know, their basis, their foundation is prone to weaknesses because of that. Uh, right, and, and what, that's so what we saw. who should be lending? Uh, it should be actually the people who, uh, who have their money. They should lend uh, to, based on their uh, discretion. And that's how it used to be um, uh, at least 500 years ago when, yes, economy was slow, but we were not creating monstrous banks that uh, effectively now own uh, the world. So uh, the money should be in the hands of people, not in the hands of banks. And um, uh, I would also challenge the uh, liquidity supply mechanism because that origination by the banking system, it, again, it favors banks only. Mm -hmm. but it exploits uh, people for the most part. And um, there were a couple of other things which I suggested. Uh, um, so, yes, so the public stocks and bonds and uh, all the derivatives which are out there, uh, they should not be valued at fair value. They should be valued on cash basis. So it's basically worth you what you paid for it. And unless you sold it, you account for it at cost. I think it's more fair than uh, keep inflating the stock market as uh, they're doing right now. When you say when um, you say cash value, you're talking about going back to more of a gold standard or my way off? Yes, yes. It's uh, Well, it's not going to be gold standard because cash is, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's now electronic <laughs> um, yeah, value, but it's definitely will be, it will definitely add more stability to the system. Uh, versus what's happening right now, because right now accounting allows to recognize value out of the uh, out of the blue, and uh, that that was another reason why again 2008 crisis was not predicted by the Fed. Mm -hmm. um, because you know gold standard, you could change and replace uh, coins with gold. Uh, it's no longer possible because there is not enough gold in the system to substitute for for the exchange. Huh. But uh, and that's what why the money has become electronic. But uh, long term, uh, we should use the cash value or the money value, but no other value for our economics. Okay. Uh, and um, and uh, government uh, also important one, and I'm sure many people in the capitalist world will dislike it. But government taxes should match wealth distribution. In other words, <clears throat> if uh, somebody created a gadget and everyone wants that gadget and they paid for it, uh, the person who exploited the intention of other people when they bought their gadget <clears throat> should give that money back. In other words, uh, if somebody buys something from someone else, if there is a profit, if there is a large component of profit included in it, that someone else will not be able to contribute more than they already did. So the price points should be lower for them in order to be able to sustain life going forward. Otherwise, they need to work harder. So, again, from a closed system standpoint, it makes perfect sense. Uh, and wealth and taxes should be balanced such that all participants of economic system 
uh, realize that before they can buy something, they need to be able to afford it. And if they cannot afford it, they should not be lended credit or they should not be uh, you know, leveraging some assets they have because otherwise they risk losing it, and uh, that's the mentality they should have. Yeah, the, uh, we were running, I think, uh, in the Bush administration. Boy, you know, it's like it was a spend, 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 spend. It's good for the economy, and so everybody was spending 125 percent of what they made. And uh, <laughs> right, and we all know how it ended. So yeah, that's uh, that's exactly the issue. You, you and again, it, and that's why the name of the book is Economical Equilibrium. It's all in equilibrium. If you if you don't contribute enough, but you spend it. Uh, or you spend more, uh, that's going to cause problems down the road. Uh, debt or credit allows to postpone this problem. But, for example, if you look at the credit loans, uh, I'm sorry, the student loans crisis, which is happening mm -hmm. right now, so the students cannot pay those loans back because <clears throat> they're not enough jobs, so they learned the wrong thing to, uh, to be able to sustain in the global market. Uh, but... Uh, the educational system would not have accepted them if they had uh, no money. So the banks right. had to lend them money, but again, they uh, spent money on things which are useless or they learned something that no one else needs. And uh, that's just uh, flat wrong. So it's not about spending money on education. It's about spending smart money on smart education uh, so that there is a result. And uh, that's another example of what needs to change. Right, and I think you brought it up again, and that's, again, when you talk about equilibrium between the haves and the have-nots, the 1% terms. And you brought it up earlier, I wanted to, and uh, we're coming up on the end of this, on the end here, So I want, but I wanted to ask this question, and that is, because the people who, who live from paycheck to paycheck and the, peop and, the, and the rich live by two different sets of rules. Uh, the rich primarily live off interest of the money they already have. They're not spending the money they have and the rest of us are living from paycheck to paycheck. How does, how does that ever become, how do we build up the middle class and get that more equal and start, start getting people to save in this country? Uh, is, is, sure. there, is there a way to do that, do you think? Well, yeah, the simple answer is stop buying uh, products or services from large corporations, uh, simply because uh, that, again, makes rich people richer and poor people poorer. Mm -hmm. So the middle class foundation is that everyone should have more or less equal wealth, and that's uh, by not allowing to consolidate the industry. So the powerhouses, the big banks, the big corporations should feel that responsibility and uh, start disintegrating into smaller shops so that they are uh, equally competing and allowing others to make their way up. Because right now what happens is that Unless you have a breakthrough technology like, uh, <clears throat> let's say, Uber or Tesla, there's no way for you to uh, climb up the, uh, the ladder and make wealth because it's all controlled by large corporations. So disintegration right. of the large corporations is the first step. And also, if you, go, if you buy groceries, go to farmer's market, buy from the farmers. If you go to a clothing store, don't buy from a large retailer, buy from a local clothing line. So... And again, it's all based on smaller disintegrated pieces, um, and because consolidation really hurts in this case. No, that, no, that makes sense, and it's kind of changing around. With uh, a lot of people are starting to buy more local and wanting to know where their food comes from, and uh, and want to support uh, people locally and the smaller um, designers and and manufacturers, which is a good thing. 
But there's yeah. a large portion of people that, uh, the working poor, I call them, that can't afford not to get their stuff at Costco or Walmart. Uh, not to de- demonize those companies, but uh, they are, you know, their stuff is less expensive. They have the buying power. So I, I know this, is, so it, it makes it tough. But it, it Yeah, but it's a vicious circle. It will end uh, sooner than we think because right. if those people who work in Walmart uh, buy things from Walmart, Walmart would not exist if they didn't make profit. So they're still uh, stripping part of their um, wealth to the Walmart headquarters. Mm-hmm. which means down the road they'll either get fired or replaced with technology or something else. So it's not solving the problem. Okay. Well, I was going to let you go, but I got one more question that just popped up because sure. of this, and that is minimum wage. Um, I just uh, spoke to somebody who uh, was an Obamacare expert, uh, an affordable health care uh, expert, um, consultant industry, and she mentioned that uh, if we go from 725 or essentially 18,000 a year to 1010, or in this California we're at 15, that that'll bring up the yearly wage to a point where the poor now that are getting Medicaid free are now going to have to spend their money on health care, and it causes issues with them to make more money. But uh, the the media and the politicians don't don't tell the people that. Uh, what do you think about the minimum wage rising? Does this make sense sure. to you, or am I? Were we way off here? Uh, well, it's uh, like a, it's uh, like an adrenaline shot to a dying patient. That's what I would call it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it will work short term, but long term, again, if people are working for a minimum wage, uh, they are doing something wrong. Uh, they have to work. Uh, they uh, either have their own business or share or get a bigger share of the profits of the corporations and talk to them about this rather than having that minimum wage imposed because if minimum wage goes up, everything else goes up. And, again, from a closed system standpoint, it's a perfect uh, explanation. So I don't see why this would work one way or another. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I I just see uh, most most small businesses at $15 an hour, uh, barely making it will now be in the hole. So they would have to increase prices. So n- nobody, there's no real win here. Exactly. Anyway, so, so you've you've answered a, a, ton, a ton of questions. Let's talk about your book so people can get a hold of it. Um, and that is um, Economic Equilibrium: Geometry of Economics by Ilya. Uh, let me see your last name, Kuncevich. Yes, Kuncevich. And uh, the book has a website. It's www.economicalequilibrium.com. And it has uh, the links to to order the books as well as uh, my contact information if somebody wants to be in touch. Okay, so that's economicalequilibrium.com. Can they also find it at Amazon or you... Oh, absolutely. It's on Amazon, and that's if you have Amazon Prime, you can download it for free on your Kindle. So that's a great... Uh, Oh, it's a great good. resource too. There you go. Well, wonderful. And um, what about yourself? What are you going to be doing now? You're writing another book, or um, you speaking anywhere? Well, actually, I'm uh, promoting my book actively in the academic world because I I literally faced the wall of the, the mainstream economics, who mm-hmm. said that uh, I'm dreaming. <laughs> Although all the people <clears throat> who are familiar with physics uh, instantaneously understand this approach. 
So uh, uh, my next step is to present this book on uh, inequality and the future of capitalism conference in Berlin on October uh, 20th. And I'm now working on building an engine, a software program that uh, will uh, present geometric uh, uh, inequality uh, of uh, income uh, problem. So in other words, we will have a video demonstration of uh, how uh, income inequality evolves over time and uh, how that shape uh, takes place when um, uh, people start talking about economic inequality because it didn't come out of the blue. It's just uh, reached a point uh, the, when you just cannot not talk about it. Right. So that's, uh, that's what I'm spending most of my time right now, uh, finding the right um, uh, people to collaborate with. No, well, that sounds perfect. I mean, if you're going to explain it in geometry form, uh, then, then you must construct it in a computer model that you can throw anything at it and see what happens, right? Exactly, yes. And that's exactly what we're doing not right now. <laughs> perfect. Listen, I really appreciate your time today, Ilya. Um, everybody, get, go to economicalequilibrium.com. Check out the book, Geometry of Economics. Um, actually, it's a... Uh, you know, you usually think this stuff is pretty dry. It's actually a pretty good read, and you'll learn something. Uh, I learned a few things from this. So um, I thank you very much, Julia, uh, for coming on today. Appreciate thank it. you, JW. It was great talking to you as well, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Well, that's great. Everybody, this is JW Nigerian for On Purpose Magazine saying everybody have a great day and an even better tomorrow. Thank you for listening to our Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine. You can find On Purpose Magazine at onpurposemagazine.com. On Purpose Magazine and JW On Purpose is the property and is a trademark of Meta Media Group, and this audio is copyright 2012, and all rights are reserved.